This episode of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxying cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, www.l5rshop.com puts cards in your hands quickly and economically. This is Strange Assembly, Episode 92, Warmer, Warmer, Briscoe. I'm Chris Stevenson, and I'm here today with Daniel Briscoe, who is heading AEG's Cote 2013 efforts. Hey, Dan. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thanks for, for being here. I uh, I know we uh, had that little reference to you in the episode where Reese couldn't answer questions about Cote season, so, or at least that particular yeah. question about Cote season. Now, here you are to address that deficiency. So before I ask you the the fun and, and broad scope questions, let's start off with... Uh, with the question that I asked Reese. So I, I figure you guys didn't think that one clan was going to end up losing like two-thirds of the provinces lost as a result of the season? <laughs> so we certainly didn't go into the season thinking, all right, Phoenix is going to do really well, so they're going to lose all their lands. All right, check that off the sheet. Moving on, right? There certainly was a little bit of discussion about if a clan did really well, overall in elimination rounds. But the Phoenix have done exceptionally well. I'm looking at my spreadsheet right now for overall clan victories in elimination rounds for this season. This marks the halfway point. By the time the show comes out, the week nine results will be up, and we've hit the halfway point with the Cote season. Crane are lagging behind pretty badly as far as making the cuts. They've only got nine victories overall and are currently tied for taking lands from the Dragon or the Phoenix. Crab have 35, and they are tied between taking lands from themselves or the Phoenix. <laughs> the Dragon have 17 and are tied between taking lands from themselves, the Mantis, and the Phoenix. Lion are commandingly taking lands from the Phoenix and have 26 victories over other clans and elimination rounds. The Mantis are tied from taking lands from themselves or the Phoenix and have 44 victories in the elimination rounds. The Phoenix are tied from taking lands from the Mantis, the Dragon, or the Crab and have 77, which is squarely the highest, as I'm sure people might have gathered at this point in the season. Scorpion are taking lands from the Crab currently and have 19 victories in elimination rounds. Uh, Spider are taking lands from the Phoenix and have 15 victories over their clans in elimination rounds. The Unicorn are close to taking lands from either the Crab or the Mantis and have 33 wins in elimination rounds over other clans. And Unalign is kind of its own silly spread. Uh, but if people really want to know, they have the most victories over Scorpion and have 15. Yeah, so that that sparks a couple of questions. First, is it actually possible for a clan to take from itself? I figured uh, that no, but it, it, it's not. It's not. Uh, it's mostly for the humor factor. But 
it came up in the forums. Somebody was asking about the way the the format was structured as far as seizing territory from a clan that you did had the most victories over, and I I want to take a minute to talk about that and why it is the way it is. The first part of it is that, as I'm sure people have figured out by now, the colonies are kind of in a really bad place. Like, some really bad stuff is going on, and some forces have been revealed to be at work that are pretty severe. And there's a lot of conflict right now. And the thing about conflict is everything has a price. And sometimes being the winner doesn't mean you actually win. And that was part of the way that the season was designed to begin with, was that everything was going to cost something. If people want to push their guy to become warlord, they're risking that they're going to get them killed. Then they'll be knocked out of the race. That's already happened several times. Mantis have lost both of their lead competitors, and Scorpion lost theirs. So, that's something I kind of want people to keep in mind, is that this season, I guess if you wanted to sum it up, this season is about sacrifice. And the other part of what makes this season special, in my opinion, and why I'm so excited to be running it, is because the last couple of Kote seasons we focused on large-scale conflicts between large forces with little snippets being taken around the Empire about what's going on. Last Kote season a little bit, and this Kote season a lot, there's a heavy focus on characters, on the characters in the story. Because at its root, L5R is about samurai, and this Kote season is about the samurai that players want to see. Hida Kaiji has been in the lead for Warlord for quite a while now. Crab players are interested in that character. They want to see what happens to him. I have no insight into the story team decisions that far up the road once the Kote season's finished, but I can't imagine that a mutant claiming Warlord over the colonies is going to be a very happy endeavor for everyone. By the same token... People are given an opportunity to more freely express their feelings on characters and other clan interactions with this Kote season. There's been a number of people who have been spared honorably, which is a samurai thing to do. Taking hostages isn't exactly a samurai thing to do, but war tends to bring that sort of stuff out. By the same token, there's no reward without risk, like I was saying earlier. So, if you want your personality to win big, you you got to risk big. You know, you got to make it to the finals and then you got to win. And that some players probably don't put too much emphasis on that, but I do know that the reactions from a number of the deaths have been rather vocal within the clan communities. There's also a series of clan letters that I've been working on. The second batch will be going out before this goes live, focusing on some of the characters that have been picked the most and what they're experiencing in the colonies or their interaction with other characters. And that's really, at its core, what I wanted this Kote season to be about. Because wars with a bunch of people killing each other is interesting, to a point. But conflict, on a small or large scale involving people you care about, dealing with characters that other people care about, I think that's much more interesting. And the reactions to the season in general have been very positive. 
at least from a storyline perspective. Even though the Phoenix are doing very well in elimination rounds, there's still a lot of catharsis and closure for a lot of people with some characters, even with the deaths. I'm sure there were people uh, where you are that both rejoiced or maybe shed a tear when Enyu died. But a lot of people really liked that story. A lot of people thought a drunken monkey was funny, and a lot of people thought the profit aspect of Enyu was very interesting. And a lot of people uh, wrote in to say that they really appreciated the way that story ended and how it ties into the overall plot for the Kote season. And so, going back to what I was saying earlier, characters, I think, are the strongest part of L5R's story uh, throughout history. And I really wanted a Kote season where people could focus on the characters they cared the most about. Well, you mentioned Enyu in there, which which makes me wonder about on the character thing. From the inside, what do, do you guys, I don't know, I mean, you personally or the story team or, or as a group think when you have results like the, oh, everyone in the top 16 is going to pick a non-human for the winner, because it sometimes feels to me like there is a, a certain contingent of, of L5R players who, when it comes to a resort, story result, what they want to see is sort of like, well, you know what would be hilarious if this thing that it made no sense happened? And, I mean, how do you guys approach that from the inside? That's a good question. I'll be perfectly honest up front that when I created the Kote season and we put the rules in for who could be picked, the large amount of non-humans, specifically ones in clan, wasn't something that crossed my mind immediately. But I think in a lot of ways, this season allows for some flexibility on that that other seasons maybe wouldn't have. The Wrathful Dead, for instance, is kind of one of the popular Scorpion picks, especially now that Biyushi Tenzin has uh, met an unfortunate demise. And with everything happening in the colonies, a wrathful, vengeful spirit is not completely out of line with something that could be running around doing things. Sean posted in the forums when people were talking about the elephant for Warlord that uh, <laughs> that we were giving the players a significant amount of breathing room to influence the story with this Kote season, in some ways more than we've really ever done before. And that that carried with it a certain level of, if it sounds really stupid, then it might be, and we might not do that. <laughs> The story team tends to take the approach of, if they can work it in, they will. If you've ever talked to Fred, he says that a lot. And I agree with that. I think they really are trying to do as much as they can with this. And sometimes you do have a contingent of people who pick the elephant because they want to see an elephant become warlord. But then you have other people who pick, say, Enyu, because they find the idea of a prophet interesting. And it's a balancing act. It's a difficult one. But uh, I think on all fronts, people are doing the best they can with it. And like I said, I hadn't thought about the non-human situation would probably be the best word 
when the season was created, and it's something that we've had to adapt to and roll with the punches on. And I think we've done a pretty decent job of it so far. It, yeah, it seems like the default for the non-humans is you can pick them as your guy, and so if you win, you might get a story. You'll get a story about it, but the warlord votes don't count. Like I think, like the Zokjin doesn't show up and didn't show up in the standings, and the Wrathful Dead I don't believe have shown up in the standings. That is correct. So. One thing I've seen people ask is that the guy who's leading is also a non-human. So I guess to me the the sort of obvious answer is like, well, he's non-human, but you know he's close enough that it's conceivable that he could be picked as warlord. Even though, like you said, that might disturb some people in character. Was that the thought process, or is there something else for why he was permitted? Uh, that's basically it. At their root, a lot of the non-humans. Are creatures. Uh, they're not samurai. Even if they're intelligent creatures, uh, like the Zokujin or the monkey, uh, but they're not samurai. Kaiju was a samurai at one point, and we haven't seen a lot of his story. Him being in the warlord race reflects the crab players want to know his story. And even if it's a tragic one, they'll get some resolution to it. I can't speak for the story team and what they're doing with Kaiju, so when I say even if it's a tragic one, I'm not foreshadowing anything or implying anything's going to happen, but Kaiju's a tragic figure. If you read his flavor text, you know, Natani says he'll never again be one of us. But he's still with the crab. And there's a lot of interesting depth there to explore. And that's one of the reasons that he was allowed to stay on the list, quote-unquote. Now, one of the things with this Cote season has been the, the possibility of conflicting results, and we've seen that reflected in the story in, you know, courtiers showing up in court and arguing with each other about what really happened in light of the the sort of mystical zaniness that is now running through this mess in the colonies. Can you comment on whether or not we're intended to take the the story, like, you know, the choices for Cote season literally? Or is there something else going on? I mean, if a guy gets killed and taken hostage in the same weekend, do both of those happen? Do maybe neither of those happen? The very short answer to that is I would keep an eye on the Cote fictions, because you'll get a lot of your answers there. But to give you a longer answer, it's very clear, like I said before, that some very strange things are happening in the colonies. And there's some, there's not just some, there's a lot of uncertainty about these things. People don't understand them. There's only a few who do. If you keep up with your fictions, you might remember the struggle that Asako Chukage had with himself during the battle between the crane and the mantis. He wasn't quite in control and all with himself, but eventually he came back to it. And I know that there's examples of that in the Kote fictions as well. Literally, I don't think you should take the Kote results as literally 
if Sawa Shinsuko commits seppuku, because that's the only way she could kill herself, right? <laughs> but you're supposed to be asking these questions. You're supposed to say, well, wait a second. This happened here, and this happened here. Well, that doesn't really quite add up now, does it? Such as you pointed out. A courtier comes to court and reports that, you know, someone's died. And somebody else comes and says, no, you're a liar. We captured that person. And it makes people kind of scratch their heads because it's very obvious that the courtiers who are having these arguments um, are most likely not under the influence of any powerful force or uh, mystical energies. They really believe that what they're saying is true. And you should be asking yourself, well, is, are both true? Is only one of them true? And as the Kote season progresses, it's my hope that that becomes a little more clear and that the way that some of these stories are unfolding and resolving will make more sense. I think leading up to the release of Coils of Madness and the stories associated with that, I think will give people a significant amount of answers that they're looking for. But the fact that you're asking the questions at all is partially what we were shooting for when we did this. Okay. Now, away from the storyline aspects, there has been a, just roughly, I'd say there's been a 22 or 23% drop-off so far in, in Kote attendance year over year. I I was lucky enough at my Kote to actually have our best ever, but just overall comparing the what we've had so far versus the the Emperor Edition Kotes last year. And, and that's a non-trivial amount. And when I look at that, I, I don't... I mean, I think that the, you can blame that on storyline aspects, but I think that the story choices available this year are better than they've been for the... they were for the prior years, couple other than that. And it could easily be blamed on, well, second year of the arc, but we saw in Celestial Edition that you actually had a pickup as the arc went on. What do you think is is going on with that? Is it just usual end of the you know second year drowsiness or? So I've been running L5R tournaments for a decent amount of time at this point, and I've been running them for AEG directly for over a year and a half now. And there's a lot of factors that play into Kote season and how attendance occurs, for lack of a better word. A lot of times it's due to positioning. A lot of people ask me every year, you know, why can't this area have two Kotes or why do you have to cut Kotes for this area? And the real answer is that we just have to for a number of reasons. If you have six Kotes in the same state, if you honestly think that they're going to get, you know, 60, 70, 80 plus attendance at all of them, I'd be willing to take that bet because my guess would be that one or two would and the rest would get very, very small attendance. People only have so much time, money, and uh, energy to travel. So that's one of the reasons Kotes are limited and why they we, we try to spread them out as much as we can. Another 
part of it that I know is a factor is product released during the Kote season. Uh, I'm a little fuzzy on Torn Asunder's exact release date at this point. Was it in February or March? It must have been in February. It was in February because it was it wasn't yeah. it wasn't like two days before the the Kote season. Right, started. right. It was in February to make it legal for the Kote season. So. Tortoise Under is is what the Cote or Cote events are getting for their price support. A lot of reasons that a lot of players go to events is the price support. I think AEG's price support for their events is really, really strong for for the game and for the players and for the events. I think it's a big part of the draw. But the more events you go to, the more events you play, the more product you buy in your stores, the less you need Tortoise Under. And I don't think it's a huge factor, like a significantly huge factor in attendance numbers, but it is a factor, and it's something that people should keep in mind. The fact that Torn Asunder is being given out for the whole season, you might be able to attribute a little bit to the drop, but I think it's a number, I think it's a combination of all the factors we've talked about. Um, you know, the product, end of the arc, people always have varying levels of satisfaction with the game. Maybe it just happens to be a little lower than it normally is, or might be a bit higher. It's hard for me to tell because the people I see at tournaments are quite happy. But there's not an exact science to it, and I really wish I could give a, a much stronger answer to to that. But it's there's just so many things at work that it's it's very difficult for me to even get a handle on it. And so I know that there are things that contribute to it, but at the end of the day. Uh, some of it's just pure speculation. I don't know if that answers your question very well or not. It might have sounded like a non-answer, but... <laughs> uh, actually, before I forget, I have a completely selfish thing. You were just earlier listing off a wonderful list of official-ish numbers of who... I mean, maybe actually official, but at least official-ish numbers of of who was beating whom and who was taking territory from whom. And, you know, if you would include those in your weekly updates, then I wouldn't have to try to hunt those numbers down and end up with things that aren't quite the same as yours anyway. So what do I got to do to get you to include those in your updates? All you got to do is ask, man. Um, like I said, the week nine results should be up before this goes live. And since we're at the halfway point, I think that is a perfect opportunity for me to post these numbers. <laughs> and it's not, it doesn't reflect clans making the cut, right? I want to make sure that that distinction is very clear. It represents the number of victories that a clan has had over the other factions or themselves in elimination rounds. Which is why when I made the comment about, oh, you know, the crab might be taking lands from themselves. Well, that's because the crab have beaten the crab and the phoenix in elimination rounds equally. Yeah. So I want to make sure people don't think that these are people who made the cut because the numbers will seem very deceptive if you uh, approach it that way. And I'll try to make that clear when I post the information. Yeah, and when we say, because of, if I... Make, let me make sure I'm getting this correct. Because of the way the, the, the precise usage of the terminology elimination round and the way the selections work, if there is a tournament with an X2 cut, 
these figures are only counting the people who win in the play-in round or the Super Swiss round or whatever you want to call it. Correct. These numbers represent people that are that have picked a personality for the Warlord race and are grinding their way to try and get to the finals to and get them points. <laughs> so these numbers only represent people that are in that have selected personalities and are in the elimination rounds. If there's an X and two round, it does it is not factored into these numbers. I don't know. Well, see, I I think if you make the eliminations, I don't know if if making it to the finals should even be your goal. I think I might need to to try to make the cut with Crane and just like beat anyone who's not Dragon. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I saw somebody made a comment on Facebook that the uh, odds of Dragon getting Warlord are quite high, and they probably won't win a Kote, but they'll still get the prize, right? They'll still get the, <laughs> the prize at the end of the tunnel, which I thought was amusing. But again, the the problem of last year with Crane only getting two locations and Spider getting one was something that I wanted to avoid in this Kote season. And though the Crane are not doing very well as far as making the elimination rounds, Crane players still get to contribute. As, as people will notice, before she was killed, Kikita Seishi was on the boards very solidly. She was she was catching up to first place, or to, to the top two tiers Yeah, before she was killed. And the Crane have, have not posted that many people to elimination rounds, but the Crane still got to contribute and participate in this part of the Kote storyline interactions and that's really important because even if the crane aren't very strong in the game right now the crane could still care about the story and contribute to it in a meaningful way for their clan and that's that's the other half of why the the season was designed this way is even if your clan isn't that strong you still have a good chance to get your personality in the warlord race to take land from other people even if you, even if your clan never sees the finals, <laughs> yeah. If you never see the finals, you can never get killed. <laughs> that is, that is a very, very <laughs> accurate statement. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm surprised that there haven't been more kills than there than people thought they were. I, the fact that anybody has 15 plus points is a little, uh, and making the finals. I guess Tomoko hasn't really made the finals. I think she's made the finals once, but. I, uh, Kaji, I think has been on the has been spared a couple of times, hasn't he? Or at uh, least he's, once. He's been know. spared at least once. Um, you can yeah. all check out the uh, handy dandy results page to check for yourselves. <laughs> so, as, yeah, we can. as I'm doing right now, because <laughs> the way I get this data collected is in a, is in some very probably needlessly complex uh, tournament brackets that the TO send in to me, and I generate the results from there. So hey, you the, you mailed those to you made the, you mailed those brackets to us. I <laughs> yes, yes, I did. I did send them to you. And uh, yes, Kaiji has been spared once. It's just one. Yeah, I see. Okay, so each of them has been been let out once. But yeah, yeah. I guess the crab have done well at making the cut, but haven't gotten a, as deep into it as often as as like Man- Mantis and Phoenix have. So yeah, and uh, it's what's so interesting. A lot of people tell me they really enjoy checking on the results each week, just because even if the crane don't make the finals, the, the crane were gaining points with Seishi. The dragon haven't won a Kote, but they're still sitting in the number two spot by not a significant margin. It's quite small. The conflict between the uh, 
Empire and the Colonies as well has has been very fun for me to watch because one week the Empire pulls ahead and as of week nine the Empire's still ahead by nine points, but it was the colonies can come back very quickly from that. And it's really fun for me to to get the results each week to see what people are picking. Uh, because I really get excited about posting this stuff because the players get really excited about it. <laughs> and that's and that's really that really makes me happy that so many people have gotten on board and uh, have invested themselves in this Kote season as much as they have. I mean, Utaku Sung Ki wasn't on the boards for four or five weeks, and she's sitting in this number three spot before I do the update as of now. Osaka Karachi's been on there since week two, and he still hasn't quite managed to claw his way into the one or two spot. Yeah, the I think the Phoenix have had a pretty diverse array of picks. They have, they have. Uh, I keep a list of every every personality that's selected, and uh, there's some interesting one one offs. Agasha Gifu, for instance, has only been picked once, but she killed somebody. So, <laughs> well, there's something to be said for that. Uh, it's it's fun each week seeing the seeing the people that people are selecting and that people care about because sometimes you get completely somebody who's not in the race at all but you know you can tell that it's a character that that player cared about and that's really what the season's about and I really enjoy seeing that. So you mentioned the empire versus the colonies vote and. I know some people seem to have very definite ideas about what Empire versus Colonies means, but I always thought it was wildly ambiguous about what on earth Empire versus Colonies was really supposed to to mean. I mean, people used to think it was the Tsukuhime versus Selu, but it doesn't seem like it's that anymore. It is. It is not Tsukuhime versus Selu. That is correct. So, with the Imperial Legions heading towards the second city. It's become quite clear with the conflicts happening there and the things that Tsukihime has done that the colonies are not functioning like Rokugan would like them to. The colonies are kind of the Wild West in some ways, for lack of a better descriptor. And this vote represents the struggle of kind of the independence and the assertion of self that Tsukime has kind of made, and that the colonies themselves have embodied over the course of Emperor Edition, with the more traditional, the more structured way that the Empire is. I'm still sounding kind of vague, because in some ways, the conflict itself is what we're seeing unfold, right? Why why Utaku Jiyun has headed down there, why Seilu is doing what he's doing, why Tsukime is doing what she's doing. That is that is the conflict that we are watching unfold right now. And this vote is players putting their weight behind either side. And there's been a number of reasons I've seen people pick, but the Colonies is kind of a unique entity in Rokugan's history. And rather it'll continue as it has been, or it'll change, is something that the players are deciding right now. The final votes, the final count, I'll just go ahead and tell everybody this. There are a grand total of 129 votes that will decide the the conflict between the colonies and the empire. 
129 votes. The Jeweled Championships all got them last year, and there's 60 Kote. Both the Honor winner and the Tournament winner get to choose, which will bring the number to 120 plus the 9 from the Jeweled Championship Series gives us 129. So there will not need to be some sort of tiebreaker event. At the end of the Kote season, one will one will be the winner, very clearly. I always thought that you should give a vote to the, uh, I don't know, top L5R-related podcast host. <laughs> I, I mean, we need to work on that. Yeah, I mean, it's I've heard some I've heard some uh, some very amusing person who posts the most on the forums, person who person who has highest page views of the L5R page, uh, somebody who sends me the most koku, uh, any number of things to... Uh, I've always heard people giving suggestions for things they should do, but I don't think I can do that. Yeah, no. Well, the, uh, the, well, the, the koku send it actually seems like it could make sense. I don't know that encouraging people to spam the forums or eat up your bandwidth for no particular <laughs> purposes really yeah that's uh that's certainly true but uh we just we just did a pretty large pretty large thing with koku with the uh deciding moments and the 10k cards so i don't think we're looking to necessarily do a big koku draw in the near future but you guys never know do you know how many people actually sent in the 10,000 koku to get those cards um Precise number, no, but I do recall it was somewhere in the twenties to thirties. I know, a, I know a couple of playgroups specifically pooled a lot of their resources to to get a place like, to get a, a set for themselves, right? But but in between twenty and thirty, I want to say thirty sounds like a high number, but in the twenties to thirties is how many individuals received the full set of the 10k cards not bad that's probably slightly more that's probably more than i would have thought it would have been because uh, yeah, that's a lot of koku no uh, yeah yes it is uh an obscene amount <laughs> and actually and then you take into account all the people that just have several thousand but not 10 right that's a lot of booster packs of l5r yeah. Uh, but yeah but yeah, that list was constructed several months ago, and I don't uh, quite remember what it was. But it was a surprising number. I was I was quite happy to see it, to see so many people reach that number and reach that milestone because it was supposed to be a pretty cool milestone. And I think the people that did get to it seemed really happy that they were able to. What's your favorite art, by the way? I'm just curious. Uh, don't know. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> unless, you want, unless you want me to uh, I can go on oracle of the void and look. <laughs> well there's the there's the one of the empress that we gave away at gen con there's the kami as children playing with their parents that was the staff one there's kalima versus fuling that was on the shirts of gen con last year and that one's harold i believe well that one's definitely not my favorite <laughs> There's um, the Shadow Dragon, which was in Seeds of Decay, and top fours get the special bordered version for Kote Season. There's the Return of Casada, which uh, World's North American and European Championships all get a copy of. 
There's the Day of Thunder, which went to the Global Storyline Tournament last year, where the Thunders are fighting Fu Ling, possessing the body of Hantai the 39th. And is that it, or am I missing one? Well, I I would say my... my uh, Chagatai. Chagatai. That was the 8th. I knew I was missing yeah, one. Yeah, that Chagatai. was the holiday pack, right? Yeah, that was in the holiday pack. Yeah, I, I like Iweko. I like the four wins and I like the I guess the Kamiya's children so I guess my I don't know my favorite one I got I may actually just like the the Gen Con one best with Iweko I may be prejudiced though no yeah that artwork's gorgeous though I mean the artwork and oh I'll say yeah just since I was so heavily involved in the race for the throne <laughs> yeah yeah for sure but uh yeah the art for all of those is gorgeous it was really hard for me to to you know, have to decide which one I liked. There was one point I just had all eight as wallpapers, just uh, crossfading on my background of my computer for like a month and a half. They're all just so good. <laughs> yeah, not a not a shabby card either. Although that, I guess I don't actually see it. I actually don't see it much. Battle draw card for some reason doesn't seem to show up that much in in L5R. I remember when this got previewed, people were like. Oh my gosh! Yet another. It's the death of honor and dishonor, and military is everything. And emperor edition. Although I guess that's well, that's not entirely true, but it is something. <laughs> yeah, that's a little doom and gloom. I think people sort of have those reactions and extremes whenever new cards get previewed. I mean, the coils previews have ranged from these are all awful to oh my god, these are amazingly powerful. So. Yeah, and and there was one that was a so I guess AEG doesn't want anything but military to win. I I don't remember what the name was, but it was the one of its abilities was you know open. You can't nobody can gain honor this action phase. Yeah, there's always there's always a number of those. No matter no matter what the cards are, no matter what the preview is, no matter what the set is, there's always there's always the speculations about what things will do and uh, how that'll impact things it's just interesting though because if you think back to tsc a lot of people thought low market was a pretty cool card but nobody was crying that it was necessarily broken or game deforming but everybody who was a gen con that year saw lion lion use that to pretty good effect so it's always interesting to me the cards that people focus on a lot and then the cards that you end up seeing in a lot of decks not that it will come as news, but yeah, I've I've always wished there was more sharing of deck lists, and I wish there was more strategy discussion generally. And I think the cherry more posting of deck lists would would have to be part of that. Like I don't think that anyone has actually posted in a publicly available place the Journey's End Keep XP decks that have done well at Kote, so. You know, I mean, there's there's no ability to have for the community to have a even semi-intelligent conversation about that deck or how is it doing well or how do you meta against it or how do you address it? And I've always I've always thought that was a kind of a, a drawback of the L5R community's focus on keeping decks under wraps. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, from my position, my, my response is kind of, well, if people put the work in, that's theirs, right? You can't, 
necessarily force them to to share that. But at the same time, I think a healthier discussion about decks that do well, especially when you have decks doing very or clans rather doing very very well, is a positive thing for the game. I know it's something that a lot of people are working on to try and, and promote more. L5R is just not a game where getting deck lists and using them in an efficient way is quite there yet. Uh, I think it will be soon. I think I think it will be soon, but right now it just... That's, that's part of the kind of organization of information that I think is growing with L5R in a positive way, but I don't think it's quite there yet. If you want my personal advice and you're tired of losing to Phoenix, play Lion. <laughs> I played three Phoenix this past weekend and beat them all. Yes, so, uh, I for for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I believe the obvious uh, notion being, yep, going first is still good in this game. Pretty much. Uh, also, I hear if you overlay Jade's Roar and Ikomashika XP on turn one, that there's really not a lot anyone can do about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that has been a nice side effect of the of people posting about the res- the results for Kote season. It's going up for story purposes, but it's resulted in a much more thorough reporting on matchups in the the elimination round. So you can actually hit we I can actually post up something like a vague notion of what clans tend to beat other clans more. I, I'm not sure the how sixth, much that- the sixth ring is also a really good resource. For people who don't know what they are, they stream L five R matches. Yes. And you get to watch the matches from an overhead perspective, and you get to see not the whole deck necessarily, unless they happen to draw it out on either side, but you get to see a lot of the cards in use in decks that are doing well. And I know when they broadcast, they try to broadcast as much of the elimination rounds, and they always broadcast the finals wherever they are. And you get to watch decks play with each other there. So even if you don't get the full deck list, um, those videos are really great to see how skilled players play against certain matchups and it can really help at least it has with me right watching some of these videos it can help you look at cards in a slightly different way and realize oh hey this can be useful in this narrow situation and i've been having problems with this narrow situation i might want to try that or he's playing that in his crab deck i didn't think about that card that card seems really cool in his deck i should give that a try yeah, and I believe they, they are sixthring.net with sixth being spelled the number six th ring.net. And if I've got that wrong, then on the Strange Assembly main page, one of the links over on the right is over to the sixth ring. So. Yeah. So I think the, the spread of information is, is getting a lot better. And I think L5R is growing in that regard. And, uh, I hope to see it keep growing in the future. Okay. Is there anything else that you've thought of during the course of this that you think we should hit on or that you want to hit on? Um, I think I've I think I've touched on uh kind of what the Cote season was and and kind of how some of these things are coming about and uh I just wanted to say thank you to the players and the community cuz it's been this has been awesome. I started playing in gold and I think my favorite Kote season as a player was 
the reign of blood. And I think this is on that level. I really, really have liked this season. It's been a lot of fun to work on. And I'm really glad that people are so enthusiastic about what's going on in the story and the the kind of mini mega game that is the Cote season. So I just want to give a big shout out and thank you to everybody uh, out there who plays L5R that's made working on this so much fun. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for coming on and talking to us, Dan. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. You've been listening to Strange Assembly. You can download more episodes or check out uh, some L5R articles on strangeassembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook or Twitter, Strange Assembly, either place, to see what we're up to. And I'm always glad to hear from you at chris at strangeassembly.com. The table is yours.